for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. Welcome to the update. On today's show, Hannah Gordon is one of the most powerful women in the NFL. As Chief Administrative Officer and General Counsel of the 49ers, Gordon oversees everything from the legal and public affairs of the organization to its involvement in youth flag football and the launch of recent fan engagement groups like One, Women of the Niners, and 49ers Pride. But for the Bay Area native, it's not the power she holds that motivates her. It's what she and her team have done and continue to do with that power and why it matters so much to all of them that truly inspires her. It's Monday, January 20th. Well, Hannah, before we dive into all of the wonderful things that you and the 49ers are doing in our community, I'd love to start with you and your why, because we all have reasons that we're passionate about things. So for someone who went to undergrad at UCLA with an interest in, in doing what I'm doing these days, being a sports journalist, you interned for Raiders PR, Fox Sports West, you worked in the Cal Athletics Department before you landed at law school down at Stanford. Why does giving back to our community matter to you? You know, I think for me, it's really growing up here in the Bay Area. I grew up in Oakland. It's an incredibly diverse community. And I think when you grow up seeing a lot of different experiences that people are having, you can't help but have empathy for that. So I think for me, a lot of it is just being from here. Mm -hmm. And in terms of you asked about why, and at the Niners, we have done a lot of work with Simon Sinek and Start With Why. And so we have a team-wide why, an organizational sort of business side why, which is to go one step further to make someone feel a part of our family. And I think that really ties to what we do in the community. And then we also all worked on, like, what is our personal why? And mine, since you asked, was um, to protect others when they can't protect themselves so they feel like somebody has their back and thereby feel empowered. And I think with our mission of educating and empowering the area, that has fit nicely. And when people ask me what I do, you know, several years ago before I got to be involved in our community work, I would say, oh, I protect big, strong men. And sometimes people think, well, why do they need protection? But really everybody does at different times in their life. And so I think that for me is kind of why why I do the work I do and why I'm really happy to be a part of the work that we do. Now you've grown into this role during your nine years with the Niners. When you joined the organization way back in 2011 as the Director of Legal Affairs, what were your responsibilities? Sure, my responsibilities were the day-to-day legal work of the team and really kind of building out a legal function of the team. And that sort of developed um, into adding a government affairs practice to the team, as well as then eventually risk management focus. Um, our department, and and then eventually all of the community work as well. But yeah, it really started with the straight up legal work. So that's that's what I'm wondering because when somebody reads your job descriptions now, you've got about ten of them. <laughs> you're doing you're doing the jobs of about <laughs> ten people. So I, I'm just wondering how and why did your role expand? I'm not doing the job of ten people because I actually have thirty amazing people who are doing all of that work. Um, <laughs> So for me, it's, it's really supporting those folks. And when we talk about empowering people, empowering those folks to do that work. And yeah, how and why did it change? I mean, you'd have to ask the people who gave me those opportunities, but I'd like to think it happened because I was hungry to do it and I was doing well with what they gave me. So when people, you know, it's just like football, right? Like mm-hmm. if somebody's got the hot hand, you keep giving them the ball. Mm, I love that. And speaking of a hot hand, I mean, the 49ers Foundation has been getting the ball a lot the last few years, Anna, because y'all have been on a roll. Um, For folks who aren't familiar, could you give us a general overview of what the foundation is all about? 
Absolutely. So the foundation was formed in 1991, and we have given out, ironically, over $49 million since that time, and really looking forward to turning that number, though, into 50 sometime this spring. We've supported a number of local Bay Area nonprofits that support our mission of educating and empowering Bay Area youth. So we work closely with organizations like Fresh Lifelines for Youth, which helps incarcerated youth who are first-time offenders really reduce recidivism and change their lives. We work with organizations like the Center for Youth Wellness, where Dr. Jean Burke-Harris in San Francisco has really impacted the way health care is delivered to young people all over the country through the understanding of adverse childhood experiences. We work with Silicon Valley San Jose, which is in schools and really kind of tutors and mentors kids, but also gives those who are doing the tutoring and mentoring as kind of a year usually after college are really amazing experience and an opportunity to give back. We work with Tipping Point, uh, which works on poverty all over the Bay Area, which as we know, especially with the housing crisis, is a major problem. And we also work with the STEM Leadership Institute and 49ers Academy, which are very close to us. They're direct educational programs, one being a wraparound educational program in East Palo Alto, and the other being a program within the Santa Clara schools that we helped form in 2014 when Levi's Stadium opened. And that brings both leadership and STEM training to students in middle school and high school. And we'll have our first cohort who started in seventh grade graduating this year, which we're very excited about. And in addition to all of that work, we also have direct service programs. So our two direct service programs are 49ers prep, which is youth football, all non-contact football for young people. We do that both in schools where we're teaching kids about health and wellness as well as 49ers Prep Flag Football League, which are now sort of exploding all over the Bay Area. We started just two years ago with 500 participants. We expect that this coming year we'll have 10,000 participants. And for us, that's just the beginning. We want to make sure that every kid in the Bay Area has the opportunity to play organized sports. What we've seen is there's been a real decline in really across the country in children participating in organized sports. And the biggest cause of that is because they cannot afford to do so because Mm. organized sports are becoming more and more expensive. And we know from the research that children who play organized sports get better grades, are more focused, are more disciplined, have greater self-confidence, and we want to make sure that kids are getting that opportunity. So that's really where our free flag football programs come in, and we partner with local organizations like Boys and Girls Clubs, Police Athletic Leagues, to run those in different communities, and we provide all of the equipment, all of the curriculum, all of the training, all the background checks for free. Wow. The other direct service program that we have is 49ers EDU, and that is designed to get kids excited about STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, through football. And the biggest part of that program is our field trip program. So a lot of people don't realize that Levi Stadium really doubles as a school. So there are 300 kids a day walking around Levi Stadium oh my goodness. learning about things like, yeah, I, I know. Even a lot know of that. people don't know. I'm I mean, there you walk a lot. Around, yeah, <laughs> it's really fun. You'll suddenly see like a whole class of kindergartners who are learning to read with an avatar of sourdough Sam. Um, <laughs> or you'll see kids who are learning about gravity through how does a football drop. And there's all kinds of different ways that we use sports to get them interested in STEAM. So that's a really fun program. We serve about 60,000 people a year through that program. 
Wow, that's phenomenal. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I'm so impressed that Hannah was able to just rattle all of this off. I know it's part of your job, but that was still impressive, Hannah. I saw lots of players out in the community over the last couple of months. What were some of the projects that you all worked on through the foundation over the holidays? I think a lot of people have a special sort of place in their heart for the holidays, and you really see that with our players. Like, they all want to do something during the holidays. And so not only did they participate in Hope for the Holidays, which is our big holiday fair, where we bring in about a 1,000 kids. And this year, we were able not only to give them each toy, a hot meal, groceries, shoes, haircuts, but we also were able to give them bikes, um, Mm, which was really a fun kind of special thing that happened this year. And that's an event that our staff and our players both participate in. It's something that our entire organization really looks forward to. But we also had eight different player-driven events. For example, Mike McGlinchey took a group of special needs youth and their parents shopping at a Levi's store for new clothes for the holidays. That was a really an event that was close to his heart as someone who's a brother of somebody who has special needs, as well as you know, Richard Sherman was doing things with the juvenile detention center where he has really formed a relationship with young people who are currently incarcerated through our relationship with Fresh Life Lines for Youth that I mentioned earlier. George Kittle took a whole group of the tight ends over to a children's hospital to visit with kids Mm. and just bring them a little bit of extra joy at a time when it's really tough not to be home. We've had so many different events over the holidays. I admire them for it because that's not an easy time during the football season, as you know, to have to do something in addition to your all the duties that you have sort of for your job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was really cool to see that. That is really cool. And I know you also hosted the annual holiday sports auction, which I believe raised over 125000 this year, which has you on track for, you kind of foreshadowed it a little bit earlier, uh, a major mm-hmm. milestone this spring. What is that milestone, Hannah? $50 million. So while I love the number 49, <laughs> and I love being at $49 million given out into our community and reinvest in our community since 1991, I'm very hyped hit 50 million this spring. Oh my goodness. Um, So it brought us that much closer. To me, that's a ton of money. Hannah, I know you deal in bigger sums working for an organization like the 49ers, (laughs) but is that a ton of money to you too? No, that's a lot of money to us. Okay. (laughs) Definitely a lot of money to me. (laughs) Um, Why is raising an enormous sum like that important for the foundation? Where I I know you've gotten into a lot of it, but where is that money going to be used? If you could kind of explain how it's going to be used in our community in 2020 and beyond. So for us, I think hitting that milestone really is about looking back at what that $50 million has done over the last almost 30 years. And so for us, like every dollar, you don't raise a dollar in the nonprofit world just to raise a dollar. You do it because you know that that is one more kid that you can serve, that that is one more field trip, free transportation that you can provide to a Title I school that otherwise would not be able to attend. That is one more kid who's going to play flag football who otherwise was not going to play organized sports as a kid and was going to totally miss out on the opportunity to set goals, to have self-confidence, to have an adult in their lives who believes in them, who is always reaching out to them, telling them what they can be. So for us, like that money, it's not about the dollars. It's about what you can do with the dollars. Mm -hmm. And I think for anyone who's been in a situation where you know, people are, are often asking us, hey, like, here's a great program we have. We'd love support. Like, that's why it's so important because every dollar we can raise is something that can serve somebody else in the work that they're doing as well. Now, switching gears, the 49ers have made a very visible effort the past few seasons 
with the introduction of one, the Women of the Niners Club, and 49ers Pride, the first fan engagement platform in pro sports for LGBTQ plus fans and allies. So take us through how those ideas turned into reality and kind of a similar question to what I've asked earlier. Why, why you all put energy and effort into making those a reality? Our fan base is so diverse across every possible demographic in terms of age. We've got a crib club and a kids club. Also, We've got fans who are three years old, four years old. We've got fans who are 90 plus years old. We have fans who live in the Bay Area. We have fans who live in Hawaii. We have fans who live in Germany. Like we have fans who are male. We have almost half of our fans who are female. So we want to be making sure that we're reaching everyone. And traditionally, the NFL has not been as big of a sport with women 20 and 30 and 40 years ago but it really is now it's almost 50 50 and so you do want to make sure that you're overcoming whatever barriers there might have been where people didn't feel like the nfl was for them and so that's really where one comes in and it's where 49ers pride comes in as well because we've seen with other sports and incidents that have happened around the world that lgbtq plus fans haven't been made to feel comfortable in every sporting event across the globe. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted to be clear that people are welcome here and that they are a critical part of our fan base. So for one, we try to do that both through kind of creating an online community as well as a physical community through events. For 49ers Pride, it's actually very similar. So that really was born out of just feeling like, why not? Now is the time. I think a lot of people ask, like, why did you do it now? It's like, well, I don't even know why I didn't do it yesterday. Like, <laughs> like today's the day. Like, let's do it. And that was one also where we wanted to make sure, because I'm not part of that community and the people who are the most core to sort of starting the group were not part of that community, that we were soliciting feedback because it's really important that that works be authentic. And mm-hmm. so we talked to employees who are LGBTQ+. We talked to advocacy groups and really asked, like, hey, this is something that we're interested in doing, but we want to make sure that you're a part of the formation of this, that you're giving us feedback on, hey, this is how this might sit with somebody. Hey, I really like this. I don't like this. Because I think it's really important that there's a lot of listening that's happening. And that happened with our women's fan club as well. We had an earlier iteration of it, and not everybody liked sort of the rebrand or the transformation. But I think everybody has really gotten on board with the events that we're doing with having a monthly digital magazine that speaks to them. So yeah, it's been a huge success on both fronts. We had over a thousand people sign up for Pride in the first week. We've, I think, tripled our one numbers over the last year or two. So it's been exciting to see how engaged people are. That is so cool. Uh, And before we let you go, Hannah, kind of a personal question for you, which I have a feeling might just take this interview full circle. We follow each other on the social media platforms, and I'm struck by how often you're the only in the photos and videos you share. And I don't mean the only woman, Hannah. I mean the only white woman. So I'd love to know more about that if you're willing to share. So I'll, I'll use an example for you of an event that we actually just did, because I think a lot of your listeners might have a chance to go see this film, Just Mercy. It'll be a worldwide on Martin Luther King Day. Just Mercy is a film about Brian Stevenson, who is an attorney who has represented individuals on death row for really his entire career since he graduated from Harvard. And we were able to do an advanced screening with our players and with youth from African American Community Service Agency in San Jose and with the producer, Scott Budnick, which is really neat because we were able to have a discussion after the film. Wow. And people talked about the experiences that they had that they felt that really related to and and empathy and and actually a young woman asked Scott she was like 
you're a white man. Like, how did you make this film? And he really talked about just the human element of empathy and how when you go into the prison system, you really can't kind of come out without being impacted by that. Mm -hmm. And so to come full circle to, to growing up in Oakland, California, which is an incredibly diverse community, really, I think, with New York and Long Beach, I think the, at least when I was growing up, the most ethnically diverse communities in the United States. I think that when you are exposed to a bunch of different cultures, it gives you the opportunity. Like people laugh because they'll look at like kid pictures, like me and my sister. I went to like Chinese camp when I was like in fourth grade. We did the Martin Luther King Oratorical Fest when we were in second grade. We were celebrating all different cultures and learning about things. And I think that when you grow up in a place like the Bay Area, you're able to appreciate a lot of different experiences and understand a lot more about the United States and our history and and just the context for things. So I think that's part of being an ally across different things. Like we were talking about with pride, like I'm not gay. That doesn't mean I can't be an ally. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand that someone else is subject to some sort of ism, some aspect of, if you don't understand sort of your own privilege, my own privilege as a white straight female, then you end up missing so much opportunity as a leader, as a team member. So I think for me, like all those things are connected. Like you can't be interested in the condition of women if you're not interested in the condition of every other group that is being in some way, whether you want to use the word oppressed or just not having the same privilege as some other group. Mm, Well said. Hannah, no, you're in an airport. No, you have a zillion things to do. Um, thanks for coming on. We so appreciate your time. My pleasure, Kate. I'm sorry I couldn't be there with you in person because I would much rather that. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to see you. I love it when you call our games. I love it when you're involved in stuff we're, that we're doing, and we want to keep you that way because you have been a great asset to the organization as well and very excited for, for what's to come um, in the future. Wow. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be a part of things over the past four years and can't wait to see what the future holds either. Go Niners.